0: it's heartbreak for the lionesses spain against all the odds to become champions of the world england beaten by the better team on the night the lionesses will roar again spain world champions
1: Welcome to the Sound of Football Podcast. I'm Graham Sibley, and as ever, I'm joined by Jan Bilton. Hello. And Terry DeFellon. Hello. The sun is shining now in England, bizarrely. I mean, it's been a beautiful day here, even if our moods haven't been that beautiful, because this summer has been a complete washout in England. It really has. It's been cold and wet and horrible. But there has been a a huge ray of sunshine, and that was the Women's World Cup a football tournament that comes along and just really makes you fall in love with the game again and if you know people that are still still saying women's football nah you couldn't pay me to watch that then there is no helping these people now let them live in a world without the joy that the women's world cup brought because it did and all right we didn't win the world cup spain did spain the best team in the tournament apart from that aberration against Japan. But they were the best team in the tournament and we gave them a really good game. And we had every opportunity to change the narrative, but it, it just didn't happen. So they're flying back now, the uh, losing finalists, England, and I'm sure they'll come back to a, a hero's welcome when when they do, uh, for people who really do understand what football's all about. But of course there was all the hoopla of men's football over the weekend. There was lots of league action And it was a great weekend for the Bellingham boys, wasn't it? Yes, it certainly
0: was, Greg. Four goals between them.
1: Yeah, they'll be very happy about that, won't they? And who were the most important goals for?
0: Oh well, definitely for Sunderland, definitely. <laughs> well, I mean, from a selfish point of view, Sunderland are that st- we've we've brought in strikers. We don't really have a first choice uh, striker, though. Uh, Samir did come on and, and, and did all right, but um, they played um, Joe Bellingham a little higher up. To uh, sorry, on Saturday, you know, I said last week. We shouldn't be putting too much of our faith in a 17-year-old, but, I mean, he looked like he'd been doing it for years. And it's hard not to compare him with, with his brother, who clearly is is an amazing player and, and, and appears to be wise beyond his years. Um, but certainly even Tommy Morbury was saying that when he said when you give him instruction, you know, he asks lots of pertinent questions. He wants to understand what you want him to do. Uh, and that just really showed in the game he was outstanding, as were the goals for his, his brother as well. So Madrid off to a, a good start. Um, and Sunderland's uh, season kind of back on track.
1: Terry, this is all sounding really
2: familiar isn't it?
1: 17 year old Bellium gets <laughs> chucked into the side and all of a sudden he's like performing miracles.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I have not seen uh, uh, Job's uh, performance unfortunately but what Jan was saying about uh, how Job uh, behaves and and How he asks questions does sort of like resonate with uh, the experience with Jude, who was there to learn. Interesting uh, little side note to that is that um, there's been a story that's been leaked uh, in the last few days in Dortmund about how Jude was not universally popular amongst all of the players in, in, in the Dortmund squad. Emre Chan, who's now the captain of Dortmund, apparently uh, had some disagreements with him. Uh, and I do often remember uh, seeing Bellingham play and showing a real lack of patience with some of his uh, teammates, players who are some years his senior. And I looked at that and thought, that is definitely a player showing his inexperience there. But I don't think that that's really, you know, you have to acknowledge at 19 years old, you don't know it all. Uh, you're having an amazing career, but you don't know it all. And you might want to wind your net back in. Anyway, it doesn't appear to have had any a lasting effect on a, a lot of it. I think it's just raking and troublemaking from built. Um, but it is something to think about. But, yeah, astonishing goals in his first two starts. Apparently only Cristiano Ronaldo has done such a thing for Real Madrid. Hmm, hmm. And but uh, putting the performances in as well. I mean, I'm not remotely surprised at all. He seems to be the most prepared young man um, that there's ever been. Um, and clearly, there's a culture within that family where they are very, very anxious to learn and sufficiently, I think, humble-ish and understand that it's more than just about being a good footballer. It's about being about being good people. About being willing to learn and being willing to listen. And you know, it, it's extremely encouraging. And I think to England. Both men and women have grounds for optimism for the future with guys like uh, Bellingham.
0: What's um, interesting as well, um, when I was watching the Sunderland game back, or the highlights back, was that Bellingham wears doesn't have his surname on his shirt. He just has Job written on there, which I thought was quite telling, um, that he wants to be his own man. So, um, again, a a, 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 which a, a highlights wisdom beyond his years as well. So, um, yeah, good for him.
1: Bit of the Geordie Cruyff thing going on there, do you think? Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Terry, Germany, they started playing, didn't they? Those lazy, lazy Germans. They finally started <laughs> to start playing some league football. Harry Kane, we talked a lot about him last week. Four minutes into his debut, he registers an assist, doesn't he? And then gets a goal.
2: Yeah, beautiful layoff for um, Leroy Sané to uh, score and uh, put the, already put the game beyond Werder Bremen. But, uh, Werder played pretty well in this game and, and did enough to make it a bit of a contest, although... Uh, I think anyone was under any illusions as to how it was going to end. And, yeah, he scored the second goal, uh, the crucial goal, the decisive goal, if you like. Uh, a bit of a deflection, but a nice finish. And he looked pleased as punch. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all seemed so far to be working out very nicely for Harry Kane's Bayern Munich.
1: Uh, well, as we're going around looking about all the action about what happened at the weekend, I think we should talk about one of the key games this weekend, which was uh, West Ham-Chelsea. Uh, wasn't in the box set um but maybe it should have been because it was it was very entertaining wasn't it Jan?
0: yes it had it all grim including chelsea getting beaten which was great but actually chelsea were were pretty good i was really impressed with raheem sterling he really um shone back to the kind of direct quick um, agile moves that he was doing really asking questions of uh, West Ham got them a penalty of course which um, Enzo Fernandes uh, missed which was and it was a poor penalty as well to be mm-hmm. fair Chelsea again have played not badly and not come away with the result like they did last week um, so there's clearly uh, some work to be done there by Poch um, but uh, you know well done to West Ham because they took their chances and Ward-Prowse has just he, he settled into that side unbelievably and he got two assists his, his ability to do something with the ball from a dead ball situation is well known and he's he's brought that with him so he's he he made that game I think I thought he was excellent really really good performance
1: yeah uh, Moises Caicedo didn't really impress on his debut did he and gave away a penalty didn't really look much like one of the most expensive players in the world
0: no, but, you know, it, there was a lot of back and forth over that transfer. As you know, um, he's thrust into a very, very big game, uh, a big London derby. So, you know, you forgive, forgive the lad for having a bit of nerves. That stadium's a difficult place to go to. Um, and there's a lot of pressure on, on his shoulders given the, the amount of money that he's gone for and the amount of press attention he's received as well. So, you know, there's, you don't become a bad player overnight. So, it's just a, a bad start. He'll be fine.
1: Terry, is this just early season wobbles or is the bin fire at Chelsea raging on?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's so many new players coming in over the last 12 months, haven't they? That it's dizzying and it must be very, very difficult to know what team to field. So I have a a slither of sympathy for Chelsea. Not much. It's difficult. They are a difficult club to feel sorry for. It's got to be said, Um, even if you're particularly well disposed towards them. And I'm not. Um, I mean, I would like to think that Pochettino is a still very much a top-class coach, and I would imagine he'll be given the time to be able to work things out. I thought Caicedo was a, not unlucky, but, yeah, he's are, as Jan points out, difficult circumstances to come into. Quick word about West Ham, if I may. I, I thought they've spent the rice money very well. Well, obviously, War prows extremely astute signing, but well, me, we might argue that too obvious. But, but I mean, you know, nevertheless, a very, very good business. Also, the um, the the fellow from Ajax, Alvarez, Dortmund badly, badly wanted that guy, but couldn't meet the asking price that Ajax had. And and, and in in Holland, I think he, he's kind of regarded as being one of the best midfielders in in the Netherlands, and was very highly rated. Uh, and I think West Ham have done pretty well to get him. Obviously, he's, he's got to make the transition. But if he makes the tra- that transition, then I think that that's a very, very good signing for West Ham, potentially. Uh, and I think that they set fair, possibly for a much less stressful season than they had last time. Mm,
1: yeah, well, the European campaign will kick off soon enough as well. So they're, well, you can't really call it a defence, can you? Because they go up uh, a level into the Europa League. But uh, they're obviously going to be eager to do well in that competition as well we've got three teams in the Europa League this year Uh, how do you think they'll get on at that next level up
2: Ah uh, well, <laughs> I mean they're a Premier League side, yeah. Um, and all the Premier League sides are strong, and they've got a good roster, a good, good strong. I mean, I, I, you'd have to I'd be a little bit more familiar with the with with the layout of the Europa League as things are at the moment. But it, you would you would expect any Premier League side to be able to make it through to to the second round of that competition and still be playing in the winter. I, I don't see any reason why West Ham shouldn't have ambitions to do well in the Europa League and go deep as possible. Uh, assuming that they don't have a, a terrible domestic season and it becomes a distraction.
1: But of course, it'll be Aston Villa that will be uh, carrying the banner into the Conference League. Unai Emery in Europe again. They take on Hibs this week in their Conference League uh, qualification match. Uh, a traditional battle of Britain, yeah. and it's like <laughs> the good old days, isn't it? Um,
0: well, yeah, you could say that. I mean, Villa, obviously, they had a... <laughs> uh, as, as some uh, are calling them now obviously they were taken apart by Newcastle on the opening day but they were outstanding against Everton and Everton were poor but to be able to score four goals past any Premier League team, even one that's not necessarily in form, you know, t- it takes some work and they looked incredible they looked really, really uh, good so um, I'm looking forward to watching more of Villa this season, they've got Burnley away after the Hibs game as well uh which isn't going to be easy um but yeah i don't see right, any reason why uh, why they shouldn't be doing well this season
1: of course our teams didn't play did they terry because they're playing in about an hour's time aren't they so it's uh, yeah uh,
2: it's possible i'm a bit distracted
1: yeah it's amazing how often arsenal and palace play not at the weekends monday nights and then friday nights
2: i think sky like sellhurst under the lights and i think they like Selhurst at a big London derby and it's becoming a relatively big London because Palace have now been in the Premier League for long enough I think to look at Palace-Arsenal and see that as perhaps a little bit more of an equitable London derby when really historically it's been you know Palace and Arsenal play, Palace go home usually on the end of a 4-0 and it's not always been like that so it's been a bit, bit closer so it's a little bit more of a narrow game which doesn't make uh, the feelings of, of dread any, any better, frankly.
1: Yeah, it's amazing how quickly all the lovely feelings of watching a World Cup has ebbed away, really. But uh, yeah, we're all back now into the, the drudge and the mire that is men's football. <laughs> <That's> the spirit. <laughs> yeah, it is. it is. You're listening to The Sound of Football we
2: love football no really we do (laughs) two weeks in drudge (laughs) oh god (laughs) drudge (sighs) I can't
0: stand it (laughs) this goes on
1: for another nine months
0: (laughs) (laughs) you must be looking forward to that one Graham I mean sorry you must be fairly confident about uh, the Palace game surely no, not at all. Not at all. I hate no.
1: it. I, it. Really, it's. Uh, it, I mean, I'm looking
0: forward to the game. I really
1: am. But yeah. um, who is to know? Who is to know what's going to happen in, in that? I mean, it's still early season. We haven't done that well at Sellers Park in recent years. The last season was, was a bit of a, a change, really, winning 2-0 on the opening day of the season. It's been a difficult place for Arsenal to get anything out of over the last four or five seasons, I think. So, yeah, I mean, if we have a game like we had last season, brilliant bit disappointed that uh, Timber has, has been ruled out for a few months now. That was rather disappointing after just about half a game. But, you know, hopefully we can hit our stride against Palace. But let's go back to talking about the Women's World Cup now, because it has been great. It's been a great month. Terry, what's been your overall feeling about the tournament? How has
2: it changed things for you, do you think? One was Colombia. Finding out a lot more about Colombia and how they had a professional league, and because we we all think a lot about Europe and European football and think that that's the epicenter, but I think that it's still encouraging that you've got in North America you've got the professional league in the u s and in and in Colombia they've got a professional league and how the game is developed and professionalized. It's reaching a point where you no longer feel as though you're being patronizing or condescending by saying this, but the standard just continues to rise. And it's just nice to see sort of like alternative narratives to the men's game going around and making it really enjoyable to watch. And even similarly in Japan as well, you've got an awful lot of money going into the women's league in Japan and that showing on the pitch. In Japan, I think it was a shame that they couldn't get a little bit further. I thought that they were awesome. But I just feel that its presence and the way it's cut through here in the UK, I think, is important beyond the fact that it's a sport the great thing about these tournaments is, is they do and should break barriers and challenge perceptions. And I think that that's the other side of, of it, w- what you want it to see. You want to see this kind of stuff breaking into the mainstream. You want to see it inspiring people. You want to see it perhaps shutting a few other people up, which as well, which is, which is always nice to then in the nicest possible way. And speaking as conciliatory as possible, that perhaps sort you of know, like correcting some old fashioned views is always helpful too. So all round, as an experience, I found it to be you know an entirely wholesome one, even though it's not at times been an entirely wholesome World Cup.
1: Yeah, and how about you? What's been your World Cup experience this time round?
0: What I've really enjoyed is not just what's happened uh, on the pitch and the incredible form- performances of the of the England national team. What I've been really impressed with is is the way that the country and and, and the press, being a reflection of that, have come together to support them today the england side were on the front page and the back page of every single newspaper in the country and that alone tells you how far the women's game has come in the national uh, mentality, in the national psyche. You know, I know women's football didn't just start a couple of years ago when we won the Euros. And I, I want to say that these guys are pioneers, but obviously they're, they're clearly not because, you know, the, the women's football has been going on for a while. But certainly they've taken it to the next level and obviously massively disappointed for the team that they did not manage to bring it home. But they are national heroes. Yeah, immensely, immensely proud of them. They were outstanding. It should and rightly put um, women's football on the map in this country, at uh, the very least, and, and, and hopefully we'll see more of it uh, on the telly.
1: Yeah, well, we will be seeing more of it on the telly. We won't be seeing the championship on the telly this weekend, which is a bit of a shame. But That's because I don't think they've got a TV deal now. They've they're, All their games are going to be on the FA player, but I don't think they're going to be carried by Sky or BBC, which is, which is a little disappointing. Although they're not entirely geared up for a full TV presentation, I don't think, at that level. But I don't think it's going to be too long until you're going to see both levels getting a lot of TV coverage. Because I think this season could see big differences in the number of attendances. We've already seen WSL attendances explode. Um, we've already seen that Chelsea may have already grown out of Kingsmeadow, which, considering that they bought the ground just a couple of scenes ago, is just amazing. But it is times like this when you sort of think, well, where are we going to be the next time this World Cup comes around yeah, When in 2027? Uh, we don't even know where that is at the moment yet, because it's still not been decided. But you get the feeling that anything is possible almost at the moment. The doors are there, Terry. They just need to be pushed open, don't they?
2: Yeah, apparently so. That's all it ever took. (laughs) Just push the doors, ladies, and tell us men what to do because that's that's how it works. No, really, that's how it works. By the way, Gianni Infantino, I mean, (laughs) we have in, in the past, veteran listeners to The Sound of Football may remember that we used to call Gianni Infantino bald UEFA guy. Because he was the guy we know, he knew him only as the guy who was hosted the UEFA draws. And we called him that. And it was an affectionate term. This was before he was general secretary of, of FIFA and, and all of that stuff. But really, I mean, I have to say, you know, if there was any vestige of affection for bald FIFA guy, it's really gone now. I mean, that's just, it's, just, it's not shocking, actually. It's just, it's just depressing, I think, to just like sit there and, and listen to that. And just wonder to yourself, does this man really, Is he, I mean, does he not, not know what he's saying or did he know exactly what he's saying? He's just, just being a dick. I don't know. But that's part of the aspects around the Women's World Cup. And it's usually men who <laughs> come around and sort of like stunk the place out a little bit. And Gianni Infantino is one of them.
0: Is it worth going through what he did say, Terry? Because I, for one, not heard it. Well, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, he made this speech uh,
2: about well, it was three or four days ago. The gist of what he was saying was that there are tremendous opportunities out there for women in sport, and I suspect he was probably saying women in general to push the boundaries in society. And uh, and he used the term push to open the doors, uh, acknowledging that the doors were closed to women. So, but, but just to so so not necessarily let's open the doors for you. No, you you pushed the uh, – I think probably one of the critical things that you said was that women should pick their own fights. Mm, yeah. And, I mean, if you've ever worked in a corporate environment and ever had a, a conversation either with somebody in an HR department or maybe a long-standing colleague who maybe doesn't feel as though what you're saying or what you're doing is entirely helpful, will use that term, pick your own fights. And I would suggest to you that it's something that women hear an awful lot of particularly in business and i would suggest to you that you know this is not my experience uh, but i would suggest it's massively a women's experience is that when they hear pick your own fights really they're telling you something different and they're probably just actually telling you to shut up the english is not Gianni and first language but you know he does have professional speech writers who know you know the nuances of these language and what it means so it was it was pretty poor uh, show from his part and unhelpful uh, at a moment when really what we need to be doing is, is is you know, as Graham has alluded to in his question, looking forward to the future and perhaps putting forward a positive programme of change rather than just sort of like saying, well, look, you know, leave it to, to you, you women, to decide what it is you want and then you let us know. OK.
1: I think he does know exactly what he says every time he opens his mouth and says something stupid. He is saying what the majority of FIFA wants him to say and these are areas of the world that may not have such an open-minded view of women or any other group that has been oppressed or is oppressed. So yeah Johnny Infantito for you isn't it really I don't think there's more needs to be said we know exactly where he's going to be. He's probably still going to be here in four years time but let's go for a bit of blue sky thinking and and try to imagine what women's football is going to be like in a few years time now at christmas one of the doors on our advent calendar i put in there was that this year may we see the first million euro transfer in women's football that's not happened yet but you get the feeling that given what's happening in women's football at the moment the interest it's developing the number of advertisers who want to get involved in the game and and want to promote women footballers with their products, you feel it can't be that far away and that we are looking at an explosion in the amount of money that is in women's football, especially with
0: TV deals.
1: Jan, do you get a sense that there is more commercially now building up around women's football?
0: Yeah, completely. I mean, and we've talked a lot in the past about the, you know, the capacity or the size of the market for football in this country. You know, no matter how much is put into there, you know, the huge space that the Premier League, for example, takes up, um, doesn't seem to fill the whole market. You know, it just seems like it's expanding. So there's lots of space for women's football to come into that marketplace and, and for it to have a higher profile from the domest- domestic leagues, I mean to say. Um, so I think there's plenty to come from that. But certainly the, the players in, in the England side, there are going to be advertisers clamouring to get their faces on the front of their products uh, definitely and and rightly so they should do well out of that why wouldn't they Um, but that's just going to take the profile even higher and and i think that will stoke the appetite even more my daughter sat and watched the world cup final she's not a massive football fan but what it did tell her was that you can achieve great things you don't have to be told that you can't be just because you know the the it's the world is dominated by men you know those women went out there and they were they were, and they still are in my mind like absolute megastars and i think that sends a really positive message to young women and i and, and long may it continue so i think that commercially yes in summary commercially yes it's got space it will grow and i think it's it's going to do some great things um, for uh, for women in this country definitely
1: terry four years time is women's football just going to be the horror show that men's football is now? <laughs>
2: um, well, I mean, that's possible as long as the women are making enough money out of it and getting their share of the cash. What worries me about women's football is that the, is, Jan's right, the, there's a huge possibility for a massive growth. But the thing that worries me is that the club owners and the federations will look at the development of the men's game, particularly in terms of how much money the male players currently earn and have earned down the years And will, in their mind, learn some lessons about maybe trying to see if they can keep that as an imbalance and maybe learn from their experiences of the men's game in order to not enrich the women players, but actually to keep their wages relatively low. What worries me is is that they will structure the game in such a way as to make it harder for the players to earn the kind of money or close to the kind of money or proportionate to the amount of income that's coming in that the male players get. We always hear about in men's football, you know, wages are out of control and like players, they get, they ask too much, they get paid too much money. It's a constant refrain and it might be used politically as a tactic to justify suppressing the wages of the female players. And I I think that that's something that we need to be very, very careful of uh, going forward. In some things, things won't change because it'll be the same blokes who are still running the federations and still making the same, in some instances, quite boneheaded decisions. And it'll be in that environment that they'll need to work to. I don't think there's going to be that much of a change in the power. But what we might see over the years, like, Graham, you talked about the first million-pound player uh, transfer, that is to say. When will we see the first millionaire player for example. And when I say millionaire, I mean in terms of earnings of wages and income coming from there rather than saying necessarily sort of like plus you know, some might be millionaires through independent means or earning money through sponsorship. So I think that we're going to definitely see a rising in the profile of the women's game, certainly in this country and of those players. But I do feel that something that the right like, for example the PFA, I think we need to keep a very close eye on making certain that they're not exploited or, or capitalism so overly exploited and that they're being paid a proportion that's comparative with the men, even though they won't necessarily being paid as much as the men because women's games doesn't generate as much money as the men's game, but that the proportions are right and are equal, and I think that needs to be very carefully looked at
1: mm. and it won't be no um we're already seeing this season that the zone have the women's champions League. And although last season they did show it for free on their YouTube channel, there's no guarantee that they're gonna continue to do that. So we could start seeing women's football hiding behind paywalls and and yeah that's not gonna be very helpful, is it? I mean, should it still be free to wear for the moment? And if it is still free to wear, how are they gonna really push those revenue streams that come from subscription football?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really difficult one. Persuading people to part with their money is is going to be a a challenge, especially, you know, there's a cost of living crisis. However, people have historically paid to watch football, no matter what it costs. You know, you know, the the kids can have beans on toast for the rest of the month, every month, as long as I can afford (laughs) to to pay for Sky. You know, people have done that. They make the sacrifices. But that's going to make it more difficult. But at the same time, how can you drive forward the popularity of the sport without taking the dollar then it, it's going to lead to, you know, there'll be more coaches going into into the women's team. and won't necessarily see it as a as a less prestigious. I, I don't know, that may not exist amongst coaches, but it'll certainly allow um, people to move around like that, um, and maybe even allow the the female coaches to move into the men's game. I don't know, but there's another podcast subject for us for the future. You know, it's going to be a difficult one. But they have to there has to be a strategy now. I would imagine that, that there'll be people within the women's Super League. Certainly within, well, I would hope within the FA, but you never know what those crazy guys are doing, Um, but looking at a way to capitalize on on this success um, and to try and commercially get something out of it. And that will mean, as Terry said, that the amount of money in the pot will grow and therefore hopefully that the the proportions, as he said, will be fairer and that these athletes, which is what they are, can't just keep calling people footballers, they are athletes, um, will earn what they deserve to earn.
2: It is worth also bearing in mind that DAZN have just bought ATA Sports, ATA Sports, which was up till now a streaming service that was providing live coverage of certain European leagues, uh, Ligue 1 or Ligue uh, Femina, I should say, uh, and Serie A Feminine as well. They've now bought that service. So I don't know whether or not that means that that's going to end up behind a paywall or whether or not DAZN will be using that as a sort of free-to-air or free strategy for that. I think that there's a broader problem with pay TV that goes beyond sport. If you're the kind of person who reads the news about streaming television, which is not you know, it's a bit of a dry subject, but, you know, Disney are about to put their prices up. Netflix are always struggling about their prices. Paramount Plus are going to put their prices up quite soon. Wall Street is yelling at these streaming firms to start putting their prices up. And sport has got to compete in what could actually be quite a low or reduced dollar spend on streaming services. And I think that that makes it an absolutely really difficult time for women's sport to be entering into that market, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that women's sport, frankly, as a strategy, should be looking to make their product as free as possible and getting the sponsors and getting the platforms to pay for it and not the consumers. It might not make as much money in the short term, but I've got to tell you, the value of these rights by comparison to the men's game is tiny. They pay next to nothing for this stuff. And then they're charging their customers 12, 15, 20 pounds a month. That's rubbish. So I'm not really having that, to be honest with you. I think it would be better for the women's game to go free and look that way. It won't be easy, but I think it's a better and and more sensible strategy in the long term because people are just not going to pay for sport for much longer Mm. because they can't and because there's too many other things. If If you've got your kids screaming at you, because Disney Plus has gone up by a third, and the critics are screaming at you because they want a Disney. What are you going to do? Yeah. And there's no choice, really, no choice to be made. So, so, and this is increasingly going to be a problem. But I feel very strongly that that's something that they should be doing, but they're not going to. They will. They'll just think that they're still living in the in the naughties, and that you know it's all about subscription video and that's it, because it works so well for the Premier League.
1: Going back on something you said earlier, Terry, about you know about the stupid men who were going to be in charge of football still, and this weekend we saw the example of stupid men in charge of Spain actually taking the plaudits for winning a World Cup, being like rewarded for like basically their own incompetence, and a team that is effectively Barcelona, a club side, winning the World Cup. Let's not beat around the bush. This isn't something the Spanish Federation have been working on. This is something Barcelona have been working on, the current European champions. I wonder if by the time the next World Cup rolls around, club football is going to be a lot more important and a lot more of the focus. This time around, the players in the Spanish squad were open revolt during the tournament about the conditions and the preparations that they'd seen because they'd just come from Barcelona who are a fantastic club and put a lot of investment and a lot of time and do show videos of their opponents that they're going to play so that they can learn and develop and create strategies. I think this is what's going to happen in uh, over the next few years is that the importance of club football is going to grow. Uh, how much it's going to grow, whether or not we're going to be spending up to 40, 50 quid for a ticket to go and see them, we don't know at the moment. I've just bought my tickets, my emirates mini season ticket for arsenal which is five games at the emirates for 50 quid nice you cannot argue with that value no you can't at all i'm going to spend more money on my travel card getting there than i will do actually (laughs) in the stadium
2: that's not sustainable, though, is it, Graham? I mean, like, it takes more to fire up the grills and, and switch on the power at that stadium than than, than the price of those tickets. So they've got to be running at a loss, that, surely.
1: Well, I, I guess they're thinking that, that they'll be filling it. And if they fill it, then they're going to be selling. Money. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going to be spending yeah. money. They're going to be buying shirts. And this is a whole generation of supporters they're basically generating, isn't it? Um, when mm. I've been to games there before the, the demograph of the fan base there is entirely different and so you can see what the benefits are and if you've got lots of big clubs doing this and generating all this, these new revenues and, and generating these brand new fans which essentially is what the whole push to develop women's football is all about it's nothing really about injustices of the past this is more about growth It's about capitalism. It's about growth. It's about selling shirts. Even if you don't make the shirts, it's about selling them. And it's about creating new fans because there's bugger all growth anywhere else.
2: But the grounds now, because of this World Cup, the ground base now is for the clubs and club sponsors to be able to seriously invest. And you can still make a lot of ground, like a lot of ground with spending relatively yeah. Small amounts of money by comparison to the men's game and make huge strides. It's still possible. I mean, I think if they got the, a shift on, for example, Newcastle, mm-hmm. you know, they could probably shift up those divisions and find themselves with So They might yeah. even get parachuted in at, at some point. You can make great gains by spending a modest amount of money and making it work. And to your point, Graham, about how much the clubs are going to be in all control, what won't be happening is, is that the federations won't be keeping up. So while the clubs and the club system continues to professionalise, it'll still be the same kind of people who can't get jobs in the men's section of the federation end up working in the women's section of the federation to the point where they get to employ their sons as head coach and then get to win World Cups. That's going to be a problem. And we we could even find maybe four years hence that it's not just Spain who have had these problems. Obviously, it isn't just Spain. There have been other federations as well. But that, that problem could increase. England were in dispute with their own FA about payments. And we're supposed to have actually been doing quite a good job at the development of our national team. So I think we could see more of that. And particularly as, yeah, as you point out, Graham, as clubs professionalise and they'll go along to their national team camp and they'll see second-rate facilities, no proper strategising, all the stuff that they expect. And that is the kind of a worry. One possible outcome is the club game really does overtake the international game. Because the players will go, well, you guys are all amateurs and we're professionals and that could be a problem. So, yeah, lots to look forward to. Lots of challenges. Mm, An
1: interesting time ahead. And I think that's been one of the the great things that I've got from watching women's football with, with an interest now for the last few years is just seeing how the game is developing and, and what people are lacking onto as, as important things that need to happen in, in the next stages. And, they, and at the moment, there aren't really that many right and wrong answers. Of course, there are a few exceptionally wrong answers to them, but let's not dwell on those. But it's very interesting to see where it's going to go. I'm old enough to remember the start of the Premier League. I'm old enough to remember a lot of times when there's been huge growth in the men's game and how awful it got pretty quickly and where the finger of blame starts pointing to. Um, Terry, you've, you've talked about the narrative of saying about how papers like to latch onto the fact that players are paid too much or clubs spend too much on, on players. And then it's ticket prices are gonna go up, TV subscriptions are gonna go up, as if that's what's driving it. This is what economics is. Economics is, says that you know when you set a price for something, It's because you expect someone to buy it. Top clubs will sell out stadiums at £100 a ticket. And it's not because they need to do that to pay the players. They will charge that because that's what they can. They charge 80 quid for a shirt because that's what they can sell it at. Sky will set its monthly premium on what people will pay for it. Not how much it's got to get after it's given God knows how many billions to the Premier League. So... It's not the players who are to blame here, it is the TV companies and it's the clubs. We've always got to to move away from those arguments because as soon as people start seeing how much money, say, the top earners in women's football starts coming around and people start talking about things like, oh, there should be wage caps so we don't see the awful thing that's happened in, in the men's game, we do not need wage caps in women's football.
2: Salary caps are never the answer no. in a capitalist society. No. If you need a salary cap in your industry, you've fucked up.
0: I mean, and, and and football is one of the few industries where the workers actually get to call a lot of the shots. Yeah. Not that they're not, you know, they're not running the place, but they get to say, "This is what I'm worth, and you you're going to have to pay me what I'm worth or I'm going somewhere else." And if we were all able to do that, then that would be great. Yeah. It works for people and politicians when that's working the way that they like it to. But when you've got upstarts, you know, boys that didn't go to Boxbridge and all that earning silly amounts of money, uh, they don't like it. And so I completely agree. Putting uh, salary caps in there for men or for women is the wrong way of doing it. Absolutely. Yes.
1: Well, we got a lot done today, didn't we? We talked about a lot. But what are we going to be watching on telly this weekend, I wonder? Newcastle versus Liverpool, that's the big game on Sunday. I'm sure that'll give Sky the excuse of reeling out all those clips from the 90s, won't it Terry? Oh
2: god, <laughs> I'm thinking about Keegan. Oh. Uh, I always like the go to Keegan. Just Keegan, Newcastle, 4-3. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much for prompting me. That's that's half of my preview written already.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and you're Bournemouth Tottenham, uh, Jan, you leapt
0: at the chance of taking Bournemouth Tottenham. Are you looking forward to writing that preview? I, I am. As well as that, I, I didn't want uh, Jan does the Newcastle game to become a regular column. I, didn't <laughs> <want> to, <laughs> I thought I need to step away. I need to step away from the dirty mags and, and, and talk to, talk about something else. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> Bournemouth, they're living in my head. They're living Brent in brain. my head. Brent I need brain. to get away with it. I spent a weekend with, with a very good friend of mine who's a Newcastle fan as well. And he camped out in my head the whole time as well um, over Newcastle. <laughs> So there you go. That's that's why I leapt at it, Graham. I was I wasn't leaping towards Bournemouth Spurs. I was leaping away from Newcastle. Um, but um, yeah, so I, I, I yeah, it's, why wouldn't you want to watch Spurs at the moment? Uh, there's a lot of narrative around, um, and 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 uh, you know they, they played very well at the weekend. Um, and the, the, going to Bournemouth, they, they should give them a hiding. But Bournemouth are no slouches.
1: Yeah. No slouches, Graham. No, I thought they were they were unlucky at the weekend. They got they got a bit yep. bit bit mm. of a pace but good coach uh, too. Yeah. Coach. yeah, I'll be yeah. interested to see how, it, how he does this season. So, And if you yeah. want to see all the games that we pick for this weekend, there's stuff like Napoli-Sasualo and Delta Vigo, real Madrid. You can probably watch that, yeah, Jude Bellingham playing on a Friday night. Uh, PSG-Laurents, the top two in France. They they face each other on Saturday night too as well. And if you want to see what we think about those games, then get along to sofpodcast.com, click on the link for the weekend box it, and subscribe and you will receive... Our preview of the seven games that we think you should be watching from Friday to Sunday in your inbox Friday lunchtime. But that is all we have time for this week. So from me Graham Sibley, from Jan bilton and from Toadevello, it's goodbye. 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 Contact us through our website, sofpodcast.com, via Twitter, at Sound of Football, or on facebook.com slash Sound of Football.
2: Yes. Stepping away from the dirty legs and <laughs> also not writing about Newcastle. <laughs> Stepping <laughs> away from the That's two things to give up. You shouldn't give up two things at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> First thing I did when I gave up smoking was I went into the pub because I thought I'm not giving up two things at the same time,
0: man. Yes, you're true. It's the dirty